Hey everybody, welcome to the Strength and Health Podcast. I'm Scott Shetler. In this episode, I want to follow up on a social media post I made recently concerning the topic of training frequency. I made a few comments regarding training frequency and some things that uh, factor into it. So I just want to, and, and I'd, made a, <clears throat> I'd made a comment on the post that I was going to follow the uh, post up with either an article on my blog or a podcast just expanding on uh, to expand on on things that factor into one's training frequency. Um, But just before I get rolling with that, I want to talk a little bit about the post just to kind of bring you up to speed if you hadn't read it. Um, But basically, it had said on the topic of training frequency, most people tend to believe that more is better, but that is not the case. You can only improve when you're able to fully recover from the training session. All forms of stress affect our ability to recover and all must be taken into consideration when developing the training plan. If you're working a hectic, high-stress job, if you're traveling regularly, not getting high-quality sleep, i.e. 7 to 8 hours with consistent sleep and wake times, if you're skimping on calories and not eating in a nutrient-dense diet, and then on top of all that, you're pulverizing your body in the gym, the only thing you will progress toward is overtraining and most likely injury. Lately, when reviewing some of the top athletes' training plans, I've noticed that many of the best train less frequently than most would imagine. In his book, Power to the People Professional, Pavel Satsulin states that the great deadlifter Konstantins Konstantinovs only deadlifted twice every 9 to 12 days. In a podcast with Dave Tate, the great bench presser J.M. Blakely commented that at the end of his career, he was only benching once every 10 days. And Marty Gallagher even provides many examples of minimalist training plans in his book, The Purposeful Primitive. One that stands out was the great Mark Chalet, a powerlifter whose training week consisted of squatting and benching to a single rep max on Monday and deadlifting to a single on Thursday with no assistance work. Recovery is incredibly important and often overlooked. This becomes even more important for the sports athlete. For a strength athlete, lifting often is their sport, whereas athletes competing in other sports utilize strength training as a means of physical preparation. The sport practice must be calculated into the the athlete's training volume. This is why recovery and restoration methods must be utilized. Do not overlook the value of stretching and mobility, good nutrition, massage, hot and cold therapy, meditation and breathing exercise, and most importantly, sleep. Often this not more training is the key to greater progress. So I had a little bit of interaction. Some people had left comments on the on the post and some people shot me some private messages. Um, and uh, what I wanted to do with this podcast was just get a little bit more into the uh, things that factor into one's training frequency. There's many things such as training age, injury history, the relationship of intensity and volume, performance versus health goals, and there's much more. Somebody had even made a comment on what I thought about Mike Menser's high-intensity training approach. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about that, too. Uh, First of all, I just want to wrap up. Uh, I never really got too into Mike Menser's uh, work, but basically what it was was basically working up to one all-out set. Uh, It wasn't a very high-volume I think it's a mistake to call it high intensity training because intensity is a percentage of your one rep max. So for instance, high intensity really means training at weights, say at 90% or greater of a one repetition max. 
Now, I believe that Mentzer's approach had you working up to an all-out set of repetitions, for instance, maybe working up to an all-out set of eight or 10, but basically working up to a repetition max. Now, if you're working up to a, a moderate to high rep set that's not high intensity, uh, it may be a very, very hard set. It could be an excruciating set, but what you're doing is you're working the repeated effort method uh, with reps taking you to muscular failure. All right. In Zatiorski's book, The Science and Practice of Strength Training, he talks about the three methods of training. And there's the maximal effort method. Uh, there's the dynamic effort method and the repeated effort method. The maximal effort method is working in excess, equal to it with weights in excess or equal to 90% of one's max, uh, usually for very low repetitions, uh, one or two reps. The dynamic effort method is the use of submaximal weights moved with maximal acceleration. And then the repeated effort method or the repetition method is lifting submaximal weights to failure or very near failure. Um, basically, every training program out there is one or more of these training methods combined. And really the, differentiate, the differentiating factors between these training programs are things like training frequency, volume, the training split. But all programs utilize one or more of those three methods that Zatsiorski presented in the science and practice of strength training. So I wouldn't call Mike Mentzer's training truly high intensity training, but it is a low volume approach with a, a very, very, um, a great deal of effort put into one set where you're taking one set to failure to just totally wipe out the muscles uh, being used in the exercise. Now, since I didn't actually train like that myself, um, I don't really have much of a experiential opinion on it, but I will say that I do know some people who utilize that training protocol and they did very well with it but they didn't rely on it 100% of the time. Uh, Charles Poliquin was always known to say things like, the best program is the one that you're not doing. Uh, just talking about how uh, change of stimulus is, is very important and you can't rely on one training method to constantly make progress. So in this case, since the Mensur program is and uh, relies heavily on the repetition method, where you're working repetitions to failure in one set, and you're not utilizing a lot of volume, you're not utilizing the maximal effort method, you're not utilizing the dynamic effort method, uh, you're really just working the repetition effort method in one all-out top set. So that may be a good change of stimulus for somebody who hasn't been training that way, and it may spark some new uh, muscular growth, and I know some bodybuilders did rely pretty heavily on similar training methods, but I would say that uh, I wouldn't rely on it 100%, but used, uh, for some variety or to change up your training, particularly if you're a bodybuilder or working more for hypertrophy, it's probably a protocol that's worth implementing at some point in time, or at least considering. So those are my comments on the, the Mentor program. And uh, if, if you wanna know more about it, I would just Google Mike Mentor high intensity training and, and read about it. But uh, again, I wouldn't rely on it 100% of the time. Uh, some other things that, that come into uh, can that that you should consider when uh, the topic of training frequency comes up. Like I said, are things such as training age, injury history. Um, 
the goal of performance versus health and so forth. When I talk about one's training age, I'm not talking about our biological age, but rather how much time you have invested in training. And, and these are, are progressive years of training. So if you just lift it a little bit, you're, you're kind of on, you're kind of off over one year. That's really not one year of training. But if you train consistently for an entire year, then your training age is one. So if you look at how many consistent years of training that you've strung together, that is roughly your training age. And what we find is that the greater the training age, uh, the more training frequency <clears throat> needs to be addressed. When you're starting out and you're fairly weak and say you're, you're only benching or 100 pounds or you're only squatting 150 or 200 pounds, you might be able to train a little bit more frequently because you're not using weights that the body is stressed to the point where it needs greater and greater recovery. Now, when you're starting to lift weights in excess of, of two, three or more times your body weight, then you probably require more recovery after that training session. Now, recovery doesn't just mean getting out of the gym. You know, I talked a little bit ago about how some of the top lifters were known to, to lift once or twice every nine to 12 days or, or the great bench presser Jam Blakely toward the end of his career when he was benching around 700 pounds, he, he said he was only benching once every 10 days. Um, keep in mind that there are things that you can do to facilitate recovery, not just having a high, uh, a heavy workout and then just kind of sitting on your butt for nine days until the next workout. There are other forms of training that, that, can be implemented to help facilitate recovery. And I think that's also something important to consider. So I, I don't, you know, I, I don't want people to think that when I'm talking about training less frequently, that you're totally giving up training for those days in between your, your heavy training sessions, but rather you might need to implement different training methods to help facilitate recovery, maybe do some hypertrophy work. There's many things that you can do, cardiovascular training, flexibility and mobility training, there are many things that, that can factor in there. And I think the most important thing to note here is it's all individual specific, all right? Specific to what your goals are and specific to what your, uh, what your training plan uh, currently looks like. So if you're somebody, say, who's participating in, in a sport or if you're somebody who's, who's um, doing something like uh, maybe training in the martial arts or something like that, you have to factor those activities into your overall training volume. Now, just to use myself as an example, I'm pretty new to the martial art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've only been training myself now for about, about six or seven months at this point. And what I find is, is that with Jiu-Jitsu, we spar every training session. So generally, a, a normal training session or a training class lasts about an hour in the first uh, the first 20 or 30 minutes are usually dedicated toward warming up, some stretching and mobility exercise, and then drilling, which is where our instructor will teach us two, maybe three different techniques or, or a progressive series of techniques that we partner up and we drill. And when we drill, there's not really a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of fight there. You know, we're, we're allowing each other to, to practice the movement the whole idea is that we're, we're working slowly through the movement so that we can build technique in the specific uh, movements that are being taught in that class. Then the, the uh, second half of the class is generally going to be 
uh, rolling or basically sparring where you're partnering up and you're, you're basically going live and you're trying to apply the techniques that you know against somebody who's trying to prevent you from doing those techniques and trying to implement their own techniques against you with the goal of gaining an advantage position or submitting, but basically you're, you're sparring, you know, you're going live and, uh, it can be pretty, uh, pretty grueling session for somebody like me who doesn't have a, a huge technique base to draw on and ends up using too much, uh, too much energy, too much muscle, and it can be physically draining and you can be pretty, pretty worn out. So in essence, that might have the equivalent um, effect on the body as a max effort training session. You can get pretty run down or pretty wiped out training really, really hard like that. Now contrast that to somebody who's much more experienced, has better technique. They might not feel that way at the end of rolling for 20, 25, or 30 minutes. They might be able to conserve their energy uh, better and, and make it more efficient use of their techniques so they're not going to have that same stress on on the body to recover from so these are things that have to be taken into consideration and i, I mentioned this because the, the the people that i work with come from all walks of life i've got general fitness clientele i've got competitive athletes people who compete in in you know olympic sports things like volleyball baseball softball swimming I've got power lifters that I train. I work with a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes and, and uh, fighters, martial artists. So everybody has a different level of commitment when it comes to their extracurricular activities. Um, so that has to be taken into consideration. Like I said, how intense are the other forms of training that you're doing? You can't go train really, really hard on, on a sport and run yourself into the ground and then come in the next day and expect to be able to tolerate a max effort training session where you pull like maybe a max deadlift or you do like a max bench press or something like that. So that has to be taken into consideration uh, when you're talking about your training frequency. In that case, what I would do is I would schedule your high stress activities on the same day and lower stress or more recovery based act activities uh, on the day after uh, just to help promote recovery. So it's really important when you're putting together your training plan, you do so from a recovery mindset, because like I stated in, in the post that I'd, I'd made that the, um, that you can only improve when you're able to fully recover from the training session. So if you do a hard training session and then you do a hard train and, and it kind of runs you down and, and wipes you out a little bit. Then the next day you go into the gym, you're not fully recovered. You do another hard training session. That's going to run you down a little bit further. And if you keep progressing like that, eventually you're just going to get run down. You're going to overtrain. Uh, it might affect your sleeping patterns. You might, you know, get sick. Um, it's going to affect your immune system. There, there's a lot of negative effects of overtraining. So you have to be really, really cautious when it comes to to uh, building your training frequency. So if you were doing a sport or participating in the martial arts or something like that, I would try to schedule my higher intensity lifting or, or physical training sessions on the same day that I'm going to my sport training or my martial art training. And that's kind of how I do it, just to use myself as an example. The days that I have my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu training classes are on Monday and Wednesdays, and then I, I usually have 
open mat training on Thursday. So the way that I build my schedule is I do lifting some strength training on Monday and Wednesday after my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class. Then on Tuesdays, I do lower intensity training. I might do cardiac development training or lower intensity cardiovascular training. I might do some recovery and restoration workouts. Um, I, you know, if I train my lower body on Monday, I might do some, some band work for the lower body joints, like maybe some banded leg curls or some banded good mornings, just some really high rep things that pump some, um, that yeah, really focus on circulating a lot of blood into the muscles that I used on the training session the day before. I might do some low intensity cardio. I might do a lot more mobility and stretching on those days. I might do a little bit of uh, Tai Chi Chuan or a Qigong practice. So there's many things that I might do to uh, facilitate recovery. So now I am training on that day, but I'm just not doing uh, a really intense training session. I'm not going for a max effort training session. I'm not doing a dynamic effort training session. I'm doing things that are more focused on recovery and restoration. So that way I can really take advantage of the time between my Monday and my Wednesday workout where I have to go back in Wednesday and I got to do another jujitsu training session. So I've got to be ready to have a harder training session again on Monday. And if I went in and I trained really hard on Tuesday, I would actually set myself up in a much worse uh, situation for, for Wednesday's training session. So that, that's, you know, just something again, using myself in this example, uh, how I monitor the, the, training frequency that I'm, I'm undergoing right now. So again, I, I train martial arts on Mondays and Wednesdays. I schedule lifting sessions on those days as well. And then on Tuesday, I usually have a restoration recovery or, or cardiovascular training session. Thursdays, I usually have a open mat for about, I train with random uh, people in jujitsu for usually about 45 to 60 minutes. Um, and then I might also do some more, uh, cardiovascular training or some more uh, restoration training uh, based on what the previous day's heavy training session was. And then by Friday, I usually have either a max effort lower body or upper body session. It rotates week to week. Um, and then I have Saturdays and Sundays off where I just implement totally recovery, uh, recovery and restoration measures. So that's how I've scheduled my training week. And it works really, really well because I keep my high stress activities all on the same day and I keep my lower stress activities all on the same day. So it's geared toward promoting optimal uh, recovery between training sessions. So it's just something to keep in mind as you're building your, your training week not to uh, not to just go into the gym and kill it every single day like a lot of people like to do. Um, the um, some of the things to keep in mind too that affect training frequency are your ability to recover uh, from the training session. So outside factors are usually more important than actually getting in the gym and training because when we go to the gym and train, that is simply the, the stimulus for whatever development that you're trying to get out of your training. So for instance, if you're trying to build uh, muscle and burn body fat, you're going to the gym to stimulate hypertrophy. You're, you're going to the gym to stimulate uh, muscle building. That's actually not really hard to do. 
you basically go in, you hit the muscles really, really hard, and then you get the hell out and you go into recovery mode right away where you're making sure that you're feeding your body the proper nutrients to facilitate muscle building and that you're giving yourself the appropriate rest and recovery to facilitate muscle building. You don't get stronger and bigger when you're in the gym. You get stronger and bigger after the training session when your body is recovering from the stimulus of the training. So it's, it's really, it doesn't take much. Most people spend way too much time. Uh, gym junkies tend to spend way too much time in the gym just hammering away at themselves. It's, you, you hear this, this idea of stimulate, don't annihilate, and that, that's really true. Just go into the gym, hit the muscles hard, and get out. If you can't get the work that you need to get done to build muscle in about 45 to 60 minutes, you're, you're wasting your time and you're probably doing too much. Uh, you don't need to annihilate a muscle group with 20 sets to failure in order to stimulate hypertrophy response in the muscle. Most people, it usually just takes something in the ballpark of about 50 to uh, maybe 100 reps, depending on, on the intensity used, intensity being percentage of the one repetition max. If you're working the repetition method to uh, failure, that might be, you know, something as easy as doing four to five sets of 12 to 15 reps for you know single joint exercise for instance if you're trying to get bigger triceps hitting the triceps for for about four or five total sets of maybe 12 to 15 reps where those last few reps take you to failure to muscular failure or near failure that's probably going to be enough stimulus for that training session uh, you don't need to just continue to annihilate it after after you've stimulated the uh, hypertrophy response. What's more important is getting out of the gym, getting good quality nutrition, getting the appropriate macro and micronutrients in your system to allow the rebuilding process to take place, making sure that you're getting enough sleep where your body can totally repair itself. If you're you know, getting four or five hours sleep a night, if you're having a few drinks every night, if you're eating bad and you're trying to train on top of that, you're just sabotaging your goals. You need to eat good quality food and you need to get good quality rest and relaxation in order for your body to, uh, to recover and rebuild after stimulating it in the training session. Um, <clears throat> some of the other things to, uh, consider injuries if you know you've got a, a a bad shoulder, if you got a bad elbow, you got a bad knee, or you got a bad lower back, that's going to affect how frequently you can train. Um, you need to get injuries in check first before you start pushing that area really, really hard. If your shoulders are really beat up, you're not going to respond well to higher frequency, higher intensity bench press training. All right, you're going to need to get those shoulders healthy before you can tolerate heavy loading and some pressing exercises. So that's also going to factor in to your, how, how frequently you can train. Um, intensity is going to factor in how frequently you can train. You cannot max out every day. I find that at the most, most people can usually max out on a given lift maybe about once a week. And when I say max out, I'm talking about utilizing the maximal effort method uh, where you're rotating a special variation of that exercise on a week to week basis. You can't just take say a free squat and max out on it every single week. There's going to be a point of diminishing returns where your body through the law of accommodation adapts to the movement that you're doing. So you're going to need to rotate to a different variation of the exercise, maybe switch 
to a different type of squat, such as a, a box squat or a low box squat or a belt squat or a front squat or, or a squat with a specialty bar like a safety squat bar or a cambered bar or maybe an Anderson squat where you're squatting the bar off the pins. There's a lot of variations that you can work through that's gonna prevent your body from adapting to that one specific movement pattern. But I usually find that most people can get away with maxing out once a week in a lower body exercise once a week in an upper body exercise. Uh, you can't do it every day. So again, that's, that's the training for now. Some people are gonna mention things like the Bulgarian weightlifting method and stuff like that, but you gotta remember not a lot of people survived that training. That, that training system broke a lot of people and the ones that survived ended up really being more model athletes that were able to tolerate the stresses of maxing out every single day, day in and day out. So that's not a system that, that most people are going to adapt to. And I know there's always gonna be, be the people that say the body will adapt to the demands placed on it, and that's true, but I just don't know a lot of people who can max out multiple times a day, six days in a row, and survive uh, that type of training for a long time. You have to keep longevity in mind, and you've got to, uh, you gotta have, you got to play the long game because you want to do this for a long period of time. You know, you're even seeing, I don't really follow the sport of powerlifting too much anymore, but I know high frequency training is really, really popular on powerlifting right now. And people are getting really, really strong in a short period of time. But I know some of these lifters that push that type of training, they get burnt out, they get injured. And there are, some of them are flashes in the pans. You know, I, I hear about some of these lifters coming up and then I don't hear anything about them. You know, they do some big things and then they just kind of disappear and then there's somebody new on the scene. Whereas if you look at people who trained less frequent, frequently, say somebody like Ed Cohn, uh, regarded as the greatest, or not, I shouldn't say regarded, he is the greatest power lifter of all time. Uh, Ed basically, hit squats once a week, he hit benches once a week, and he hit deadlifts once a week. You know, he did a little shoulder work, he did a little light bench, you know, workout in addition to that, if you look at the, the training plan in his book that Marty Gallagher wrote. But basically, he had one main session for each, the squat, the bench, and the deadlift weekly, and then he plugged in his accessory work to support those, those three lifts. Uh, he had some amazing longevity in the sport of powerlifting where he competed at a very, very high level. I probably get this number wrong, but I think it was somewhere around 26 years uh, that he was at the top of the game. Louis Simmons from the Westside Barbell Club had a very, very long competitive career where he was posting elite totals, and he was even top 10 in the world for a long, long time. I want to say maybe around 30 years or so, he was top 10 in the world, and in maybe 35 or, or even closer to 40 years, he was uh, posting elite totals, and I probably got those numbers wrong, but the, I know that they're definitely in the ballpark, and that, that's, a hell of a, that, that's a hell of an achievement to have longevity like that um, in, a, in a demanding sport like powerlifting. So I would you know, encourage you that if you're thinking that high-frequency training is the way to go, look at the longevity of the people and, and how they train and think about how long you want to be competitive or you want to strength train for, for, uh, w with any level of intensity. I mean, if you want to do it for a long period of time, 
training frequently is just going to wear the tissues out. It's going to wear the joints out. You know, you're already talking about heavy strength training. It's already demanding on the joints and it's, it's very stressful on joints. So I, I think it's better to train less frequently and then to devote more frequency in your training to doing things like improving your joint integrity, building up, you know, smaller muscles and things like that, where you can get away with training those those movements and and those protocols a little bit more frequently so that's something to consider as well you can train frequently you just can't train you, you shouldn't train super high intensity on a on a frequent basis so again that's just one more thing to consider so i know i i get kind of rambling on a bunch of topics here but there really is a lot to consider when it comes to the relationship of your training frequency and then the other factors in your lifestyle and your sport performance and the other types of training that you do so really i mean it's it's, it's really more of an individual uh thing where it's got to be based on on those factors and how they pertain to you how old you are uh your lifestyle factors how stressed you are um how you're sleeping how you're eating are you creating the optimal situation in your life to recover from hard training you know if you're really stressed at work if you're not sleeping if you're eating bad if you're not well hydrated training really really hard is a bad idea um, it's just going to lead to overtraining it's going to increase the likelihood of injury and if you're getting injured from your training regularly you're doing it wrong you need to you know your training should be an enhancing thing you know if you're trying to build muscle you should be going in and stimulate stimulating muscular development then getting out of the gym and let your body rebuild itself you should be spending some time working on mobility flexibility things that you can you can do to prevent injury and enhance longevity with this kind of stuff because if you start blowing out your back on a regular basis you start tweaking your knees on a regular basis you start blowing out your shoulder on a regular basis you're not going to be able to train hard for a very long time so those are just other factors to consider so like i said it needs to be very individualized that's why it's probably a good idea if you're having a hard time putting together your own training plan that you work with a coach or, or you get a good trainer who can help you build something that's going to allow you to train the way that you want for life because you know let's face it if we're not enjoying this if if uh, you know most of the people out there were not high level athletes we're looking to have a really good quality of life and using things like strength training, cardiovascular training, flexibility, and uh, you know participation in, in things like the martial arts and recreational sports and activities. We're trying to use that to enhance the quality of life and give ourselves healthy hobbies to uh, participate in and be active in for a long period of time. Now this changes if you're a pro athlete. This changes if you're a highly competitive athlete. This changes if you're competing at the national and international level. Then you got to be willing to sacrifice a little bit of health uh, in order to attain higher and higher levels of performance. And, and health and performance are at opposite ends of the spectrum. And you got to figure out where you fall on that spectrum. For the average person who's just trying to be healthy, stronger, and more fit, we're going to be probably more toward the health side of that equation. For the pro athlete or the athlete who's competing at a national international level they're going to be more on the performance side so they're going to do things that are going to keep them healthy enough to compete at a high level for the duration of their career and then they're probably going to change their goals to more uh, health focused training goals once they retire or once they stop competing at that level if you're 
I hate saying the word regular person, but if you're somebody who's just participating in things at more of a recreational level and you're just focused on on staying fit, having healthy activities, and and pushing yourself uh, without running yourself into the ground, then you're going to need to be a little bit more on the health side of that equation. So and those are some things that need to be taken into consideration as well. And I think probably what I'm going to do is do a separate uh, podcast on performance versus health. And that way I can uh, dive a little bit more deeply into those topics. So hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. If you, you follow me on social media and you saw my post about training frequency, there's no, it, it's not really a one size fits all um, uh, deal. There's many things that factor into it, but the most important things are to consider your outside uh, factors or the, the everyday factors. And are you creating the optimal environment for recovery? Because what it all comes down to is, are you able to totally recover, repair, and rebuild from your training session? If you're not you're training too frequently, you're training too hard, and you're neglecting things in your life such as nutrition, recovery, restoration, stress management, and other things like that. And working out is just, training hard is just gonna run you further and further into the ground. So keep that in mind. There's also things that you can do to, to monitor your daily readiness. You can look at heart rate variability apps. You could look, my favorite one is uh, Morpheus by Joel Jameson. You can learn more about that at trainwithmorpheus.com. But there's some things that you can do to uh, really kind of look at um, and monitor your daily readiness. And that will also help you make smarter decisions about how hard you train uh, on a given day, you know, based on, on how recovered you are and, and what your daily level of preparation is as well. So Hopefully this will uh, this will encourage you a little bit to look at your training plan and decide if it's something that you truly are able to uh, recover from and if you're creating the the right situation in your life or you're creating an environment that does promote enhanced recovery as well. Uh, if you've got any questions, always feel free to email me at scott at eptsgym.com. I'll always put my link to my, my website and my email and my social media in the show notes so you can reach out to me. Uh, if you've got any questions, I'll be more than happy to answer them privately or I'll be more than happy to even include them in future podcasts or articles. Again, hopefully you enjoy this show. And until next time, stay strong and stay healthy.